show with two retired detectives that were in the thick of New York crime, fast and hectic. They got some stories and some jokes, even an interview with the most powerful folks. Off the cuff, off the cuff, one episode just saying enough. And an interview too It's maybe the best thing you can do Amazing guys How's everyone doing today? I'm good, Joe. Uh, Joe, I'm good, Bill. <laughs> I just finished the Manhattan special. I'm loaded with caffeine and ready to go. Uh-oh, you got to be careful with that. So, you know, today, you know, we've covered the uh, the Rust movie set shooting. Why do I have an echo here? Joe's getting an echo here. Yeah. The, attorney, the, attorney's trying to, the attorney's trying to sabotage us already. So are uh, going after my people. He's going after his people. So... Today, uh, there's some new stuff going on with this case, um, and some of it is that uh, Miss Gutierrez's attorney or slash attorneys are making some really spurious allegations about the set of uh, Rust and how someone tried to sabotage uh, by putting a live round in the chamber. I mean, I don't know where they're getting this information from. Uh, they're attorneys, so they're trying to create doubt. Uh, I'm going to play a little bit of that so we can get to the bottom of this of why and what they're saying, if it has any merit whatsoever. Uh, but we're going to we're going to play a little bit of that now. It was no accident on the set of Rust. That's the stunning and explosive claim from the attorneys representing Hannah Gutierrez Reed, who suggest a live bullet was purposely planted with dummy and blank rounds, resulting in the death of the film's cinematographer. Are you suggesting that this is a case of sabotage? The answer is conclusively and unequivocally yes. The attorneys representing the movie's armor confirm the 24-year-old did check the revolver for ammo before assistant director Dave Halls gave the gun to Alec Baldwin. But they say she could not easily tell the difference between blanks and the real bullet in the chamber. A dummy round looks very, very similar to a live, a, a regular round. It's got a projectile tip. It's got a primer. On the set, the gun sat unattended on a cart for two and a half hours, the attorneys allege, when someone tampered with the ammo. She tried to do her best. Now, she couldn't be um, around the cart 24-7. There were other assistants that were supposed to be watching the weapons when she could not be. With no proof of the new allegations and no charges filed, the sheriff says Gutierrez, Reed, and Halls remain the focus of the investigation. I went to work every day unwittingly playing a game of russian roulette camera assistant lane looper resigned hours before the fatal shooting everybody right now is trying to reach for answers allegations like that that just seem irresponsible and short-sighted and and lame and quite frankly offensive the production company has not responded to the new allegations tonight new accounts of the deadly shooting as those at the center of the investigation shift blame. Miguel Almaguer, NBC News. 
So, I mean, that's, that's so outrageous to me as to be just ridiculous. First of all, we have discussed before in regards to this investigation, it's important that the investigators slam the door on all these excuses by taking a thorough, a, a, uh, an intense, and a investigation, an investigative statement that slams the door on all these possibilities that Jacoby and Myers here can be claiming that there was sabotage. And I mean, ridiculous. First of all, when he's, when the attorney said, oh, she had a hard time determining a dummy round from a live round. Are you kidding me? I, I'd fire him. If he said that and I, he was my attorney, you're fired just for saying that. Second thing, if you're going to hand the gun to the assistant director, how hard is it to open the cylinder and check each chamber, even open it up, click it, empty it into your hand? Okay, these are all and put them back in. How hard is that to do? It's not. The other point, we and we mentioned this again on the other show uh, a couple of nights ago, this gun had to be cocked because it was a single-action 45 caliber revolver. Are you going to hand a cocked gun to anybody? If you do that, you should be fired. You should have no business being anywhere around firearms. But I just want to stress one thing, and, and that is the investigation by the police. As I said, and I said this a million times, you cannot let anyone leave till you have a very thorough uh, investigative statement and check the statements against the other two. If they contradict each other, don't let them leave yet. Question them. Hannah Gutierrez questioned her statement against the assistant director's statement. The assistant director's statement doesn't jive with Alec Baldwin's statement. Question his statement. Get the truth that night before you let them walk out the door. Don't let them walk out the door till you're satisfied that their statements are foolproof, they're the truth, and they're going to stand up by these attorneys that are now inventing stuff. Go ahead, Phil. Oh, I'm chomping at the bit here. There's so many <laughs> things I want to say, but there's two points I'm going to make. One million percent, Billy, in a perfect world, those three people, those are the primary people that I'd be speaking to. Obviously, whoever else was in the room when that shot went off, but those people would be separated. I'd get solid interviews at all three or four or five, whoever was in the room. And then again, like you said, we would compare them. And then if there's in, in small in, uh, uh, you know, inconsistencies in the statements, that's okay. Minor things, okay. But if there's vast differences on who handed the gun, cocked, uncocked, loaded, on, then you go back to 100%. As far as the armorer, now, her position in that movie set is to know what kind of ammunition is. Now, Steve Gardell explained this very clearly the other day, that when they use specific rounds, what they call a dummy round, it looks like a real round, has absolutely no gunpowder in it, and the charge is already exhausted. So there may look like there's a primer, but it's already dented. And they stick a BB inside the hollow chamber between the projectile and the back of the uh, of the shell casing and you shake it and you hear the BB move and that's how you know it's a dumb dumb round that has no gunpowder it's got no chance of going off now that's a simple thing like Billy said you take it out you shake it if it if you don't hear the BB moving around there you know that there's something wrong if that's what's supposed to be in the gun and if the guns were left unattended as some of the people that are making statements are indicating well then Anything could have happened. So they should have not been unattended. And I think it's her job 
to know what kind of ammunition. Uh, I mean, th those two rounds that they showed in that clip did not look that much alike. They looked vastly different to somebody that knows anything about bullets or firearms or ammunition. So that's her job, and she should be held liable if that mistake was made by her. Joe, I know you're dying to jump in here, but I just want to play another quick clip and then it's it's all you, brother. You can stand up for your profession. <laughs> of cinematographer Helena Hutchins. The family has been holed up in Vermont, riding out the investigation. Late today, Hilaria posted this update showing the cat has been found. Emilio seems to have a broken leg, but he is alert. Fingers crossed he will pull through. Emilio is a pricey designer Bengal cat, which can sell for up to $3,000. Meantime, Alec Baldwin's eldest daughter, Ireland, is facing backlash for her gory, sexy schoolgirl costume with insensitive. I actually didn't mean that. This is what I wanted to get to. Attorney for the one and an attorney for the film's assistant director, David Halls, appeared on Fox News claiming it was not her client's responsibility to check the gun that fired the fatal shot. That's not the assistant director's job. If he chooses to check the firearm because he wants to make it sure, make sure that everyone's safe, he can do that, but that's not his responsibility. Her claim appears to contradict Hall's previous statement to detectives that he should have checked all of that, referring to the chambers of the Colt 45 revolver. Attorney Lisa Taraco also disputes whether Halls handed the loaded gun to Baldwin. This idea that my client grabbed the gun off of a prop cart and handed it to Mr. Baldwin absolutely did okay. not happen. So, so who handed the gun to him? Whether or not he handed the firearm directly to Alec Baldwin at that moment or whether the armor handed it to, directly to Alec Baldwin at that moment doesn't really matter because he didn't load it. He's not responsible. Okay. Wow, she's fired. Go ahead, Joe. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'm not happy with uh, either uh, attorneys here. And uh, one point I, I think you left out of that first clip was Hall's own attorney, uh, not Hall's, uh, Gutierrez's own uh, attorney, Gutierrez Reed, the armorer, her own attorney is saying that she left the gun unattended for hours and that someone else was supposed to be watching that gun. No, 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 no. You are the armorer. And I think we need to send them uh, Sergeant Steve Gardell's video uh, to make that clear. His expert opinion about what happened is that the armorer has custody and control of that weapon. The armorer loads that weapon and the armorer brings that weapon to the actor shows the actor that it's safe, what it's loaded with, and how it should be fired, if it's to be fired, and then to stay there so that the armorer can then retrieve the weapon from the actor before the actor leaves the set. That is just makes it so clear that custody and control is the armorer. And when her lawyer gets on TV and says, well, she left it unattended, this is this is deadly physical force. This is not you know a, a, another prop used in this production. This is deadly physical force, a weapon, a live weapon that has not been modified to make it safe like we do here in New York. This is a live weapon. And you know, I don't know what the 
specific laws are about possession of firearms, but that's another charge that they were possessing a loaded firearm, whether or not they were licensed to it. It's just so shocking to me, you know, that they took this so, you know, lack of days ago. They were not maintaining that protocol. So I think the armor is definitely on the hook. But now Hall's attorney, Hall's attorney is saying, well, it's not his job. Well, it also wasn't his job to hand them the to hand Baldwin the gun and say cold gun. That was not his job. And that he was reckless in doing that, not having checked the firearm. So I, I really think these lawyers are, are doing a disservice to their clients by pointing out things that actually make them look guilty. Joe, you know, I just want to comment on it, and you could continue after this is that there is no worse sin that an attorney can can make than being unprepared and she was so she didn't even know what happened then what the hell are you going on tv for are you trying to get you you know your, your 10 seconds of fame because yeah. the fame i if if i was your client you're fired you're fired you didn't even you weren't even prepared to represent me you didn't even know what happened ridiculous Two, yeah. two quick points, Joe, before you continue. One, I touched base with Steve Gardell, Sergeant Steve Gardell, who is uh, retired from the movie TV unit in the NYPD and now currently works in production uh, as a, a technical advisor and he does gun safety and stuff. I asked him about the armor leaving the guns unattended. He said the only way that it should have been left unattended if there's an assistant armorer that you can now take control of the guns, the firearms, the ammunition, and put it into the assistant armorer's control if that person has to leave for a bathroom break or whatever it is. But always ammunition is secured in, in locked boxes as well as the firearms. One other quick note, cold gun, which was called out by Hall that they, they're alleging. He, he, he yelled out, cold gun, when he handed the gun to Alec Baldwin. Baldwin. What that means is this, that there's absolutely nothing inside the gun. There's no I'm fake loaded. rounds, real rounds, uh, blanks. There's nothing in the gun, cold gun. Now, how can he make that statement without looking and checking into that gun? So I'll leave it there, Joe. You pick it up from there. Yeah, I agree. And I just, you know, going back to the attorney, I watched part of that Fox interview and she really didn't know the facts. It was actually you know, unabashed to say she didn't know the facts. And But what was amazing in part of that interview, she said, I don't want to say anything that might be inconsistent with what someone else said. So you're saying you're lying because you're not telling the truth. You're just trying to make sure you fit it into what everyone else said. That That to me was the most shocking, you know, part of what she went on TV to talk about. It was just shocking. You either go on there because your client conveyed something to you that is absolutely iron proof. He's not changing his story. This is what happened. You want to put that out there? Put it out there. Don't go out there and say, well, I don't really want to say because I'm not sure and I don't want to be inconsistent with what everyone else is saying. Then you're not telling the truth and you're, you're not even embarrassed by that. You're here to try to make up something that fits in with what everyone else is saying. Really just disappointing to hear these lawyers. You know. Joe, I'm going to play a little bit more of uh, this. is another interview of uh, Hannah Gutierrez's attorneys on the Today Show. Now there's two of them. I guess one wasn't sufficient, so here's two. 
Rupert Lawrence there, the attorneys for the movie's armorer, Hannah Gutierrez Reed. Good morning to both of you. Good morning, Savannah. Good morning, Savannah. Before we get into the facts of this case, you had released a statement last week. You said Hannah was beside herself and devastated by what had happened. How would you describe her state of mind right now? Savannah, I think uh, she was absolutely devastated. She remains uh, very emotional about everything that's happened. As you can imagine, um, coming on the scene after and everything that she saw, she's heartbroken um, and, and she's just devastated by what's happened. Well, the key question in this case is how on earth a live round got into that weapon on set. It was your client who loaded the gun. So how does she explain how a live round got into that gun? I, I think that's the most pivotal question in this case. And I think that is going to be the question that we want the FBI, want the sheriff, want the district attorney to all address. Uh, we know they're going to address it. We both are fe former federal prosecutors. The FBI is super competent. That is the central question as uh, to this case, which is how did a live round get on set and who put that live round on the set? Well, put a, put, let me put we a fine point on it. She loaded the gun. Did she load a live round? Well, we, we don't even know that. And let me tell you why, Savannah. Uh, there was a box of dummy rounds, and the, the box is labeled dummy. Um, Hannah did take from that box, which she, uh, by all accounts, should have been able to rely on. That contains only dummy rounds. She loaded rounds from that box into the, the handgun, uh, only later to find out there is a, and she had no idea, she inspected the rounds that there was a live round. Now, we don't know, however, um, whether that live round came from that box. We're assuming it did. We're assuming somebody put the live round in that box, which if you, if you think about that, uh, the person who put the live round in the box of dummy rounds had to have the purpose of sabotaging this set. There's no other reason you would do that, that you would mix that live round in with a dummy round. Well, let me just stop you right there. Is that your theory of the case, that someone intentionally placed a live round into a box of dummies for the purpose of it ending up in a weapon we, that would be we used on set? We don't have a, a theory yet. We are investigating, and we were, we were trying to get all the facts. That's one of the possibilities. Uh, admittedly, that you have a round that's supposed to contain only dummy uh, bullets, prop ammunition, that have a projectile but are incapable of being fired. And they resemble a real round. Why and the would reason someone for that, do Savannah, that? Is that when you look down... Why would someone do that? Well, and who in your mind had the wanna... motive and the opportunity to do it? I believe that somebody uh, who would do that would want to sabotage the set want to prove a point, want to say that they're disgruntled, they're unhappy. And we know that people had already walked off the set the day before, um, and they had been, and, and they're unhappy. And the reason they were unhappy is they're working 12 to 14 hour days. They were not given hotel rooms uh, in and around the area. So they had to drive back and forth an hour to Albuquerque, and they're unhappy. Is, um, I, I just want to be crystal clear. Is that, are, are you saying that potentially those that were unhappy, this disgruntled, crew members who had walked off the set, that they're potential suspects in your mind of intentionally placing a live round to prove a point in your words? 
Well, I think, Savannah, you can't rule anybody out at this point uh, because we, we know a couple of facts. We know there was a live round in a box of dummy rounds that shouldn't have been there, at least one live round. Uh, we have people who had left the set who had walked out because they were disgruntled. We have a, a time frame between 11 and 1 approximately that day in which the firearms uh, at times were unattended. So there was opportunity uh, to to tamper with this scene. And yes, we're looking at that possibility because, I'm sorry. Was the gun ever left unattended on the day of the incident? Savannah, it was left unattended from 11 to after one o'clock. Hannah actually took the, the, the guns are locked in a safe. The prop ammunition was in a, uh, a truck, the prop truck. That was completely unattended at all times, giving someone access and opportunity. But the answer to your question is that, that uh, the tray was outside the church for over two hours unattended after she had prepped that for what was going to be an afternoon sh uh, filming session outside of the church. So the gun was on the tray. Uh, so the answer she to had, that is yes. Okay, so the gun was on the tray. She had loaded it. It was unattended for a period of two hours. Now, as the armorer, was it her responsibility to maintain custody and control of the weapon? She uh, she had two roles on that film set, and, th and that's another thing we want to... Oh boy. She was a, an armorer, but she was also a key props assistant. She was only being uh, paid for an armor part-time, essentially. She was doing two roles. So what had happened, Savannah, is that at 11, she, nothing was going on at that point. Um, she had the guns prepped. She had them laid out on the cart. They then went to lunch. She came back. She had another duty and responsibility as key props assistant. And so she had gone to do that um, right uh, after she had provided the the handgun to Mr. Halls. So uh, Mr. Halls took custody of the weapon, and at that point she was doing her other duties as a key prop assistant. Let's set aside for the moment how the live round got there, which obviously to you is a matter of great dispute. Once it was time for that weapon to go onto the set, did Hannah inspect the gun, the chamber? Did she look at the cartridges and determine that they were dummy cartridges? Uh, she did not, and and this is really, Savannah, a really critical fact. Uh, what happened and what transpired in the church was not a, a rehearsal. It was not set to be filmed. This was what was called a tech prep, and they're, they're positioning cameras. Uh, Hannah was not in the church, and that's really significant because if there was something that was going to involve one of the firearms, she had to be there. She wasn't in the church because it wasn't set up to have that dynamic of we're going to use one of these firearms. We in other words, tech prep yeah. was positioning cameras. I, I understand. We got She wasn't there. Yeah, we only have a few seconds, but you know, Dave Halls, who's the assistant director, said that Hannah had spun the chamber for him that he only remembers seeing three rounds, uh, but that he had inspected it. And uh, of course the witnesses say there was uh, someone who said cold gun.
Did that happen? Uh, yes, she, in fact, Savannah, that did happen. She did spin the cylinder for him. She did show him each and every round uh, in that uh, chamber, which there were six. There were six dummy rounds she believed to be in that uh, handgun. She spun it and showed it off to Mr. Halls. As the armorer, and at that time, yeah. she gave custody of the... Yeah, let me just say, as the armorer, when she's spinning it around, shouldn't she have known with her expertise that there was a live round in, in, in that chamber? Well, the problem is, and when you look at a dummy round and, and you look at their appearance, they have the same projectile tip. Some of these do not have a hole in the side of them. They mimic and, and look like a real round. Um, and on that scene and that set at that time, uh, Hannah spun it for Mr. Halls. He took the weapon and then he went into the church and thereafter um, provided it apparently to Mr. Baldwin. And finally, before I let you go, uh, she gave an initial statement to the investigators. If they request another interview, will you allow her to cooperate? And are, are you fearful that criminal charges could be forthcoming in this case? We, we are definitely cooperating with the authorities. We will uh, have a, another interview with authorities. Um, we are appreciative of what the district attorney has said and what she's doing, when she's looking at this, taking her time, and really getting all the facts. And again, we think the FBI is going to be very important, their forensic analysis, and what they find regarding those live rounds, how they got there, and who put them there, the DNA, the fingerprint, and all of that evidence. Well, Jason Bowles and Robert Gorenz, it's very good to have your perspective and get this information. Thank you for your time this morning. We really appreciate it. I'm I'm so baffled by that, that, you know, something, people always give too much respect to doctors and attorneys. That's my opinion. And you cannot just think that they walk on water because these two definitely, I mean, I just, again, from what I listened to, if that was my daughter, they, they're both fired. Get rid of them. Get rid of both of them. Two, two idiots. You know, I was going to say they got the dummy rounds out of a box. She got these two dummy attorneys out of a box because. <laughs> yeah, crackerjack box. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Hold on, Phil. I'm incensed. Let Joe talk. I'm sorry. Let Joe re respond to this. I have to say that that particular interview that segment that you showed i felt a lot better about because that that would be the reason to go on tv if you have a theory that some disgruntled person because we did hear people walking off the job it was unsafe maybe there were some other issues going on there may be a motive for somebody to you know derail this whole production I'll tell you something, somebody putting a live round into a prop gun, that person could be charged with murder because there's that depraved indifference murder. When you engage in conduct, evincing a depraved indifference to human life, you're putting a live round into a gun that's going to be pointed and fired potentially at somebody, you're guilty of murder. I'm sorry. So... I think that needs to be explored because that is so outrageous if that happened. Now, if I didn't hear about all this dysfunction going on in this production prior to this, I wouldn't give it a lot of weight. But we did hear that there was some shooting and, and safety concerns and people walking off the job. So 
I give them credit for that because that would be a reason to come on and talk about your case. But as an attorney doing an interview, you are not being cross-examined like a witness in a witness box. You got to stop them and not answer certain questions that, you know, they kind of were just like, uh, you know, stuck and, and felt compelled to answer the questions. They should not have answered some of those obvious questions about her leaving the gun completely unattended and, you know, not checking them. And I, I think it's outrageous for her to have done that. And they tried to excuse it by saying she had other jobs to do. No, I don't care. Lock this up in a safe. He even pointed that out. There is a safe for them to use to lock the guns. Lock the guns up in a safe. They're your responsibility. Great. I'm glad you're showing that picture. But there was that other picture that had the dummy round and, and this blank round. I cannot see. I mean, at first, when you look at it, you could say, no, they don't look anything alike. When you're looking at them from a perspective of the gun, the bullets already being inserted and loaded into the gun, they do look alike. Because look, the primers are there, the primers look intact. So I can see that, you know, there would be a problem distinguishing between a live and dummy round while it's in the chamber. But because of that, as the armorer and the expert on the set, I would eject the rounds. Check them. They put Joe one Joe one hundred percent. How hard is it to eject the six rounds right into your hand, inspect them in your hand, and say, "Okay, they're all good." Put them back in the gun. It takes that, two seconds. That safety measure that Philly talked about. It has a pellet in there, so if you shake it, you'll be able to determine there's no gunpowder because it's hollow. That's there for a reason. If you're not going to utilize this safety measure, what good is it? Eject the rounds, shake the rounds, make sure there's no gunpowder, reload the rounds. It takes a couple seconds. So I, I think she's still in deep water, but I do like this possible theory of another person putting a live round. Now, they didn't say live round <laughs> to the gun. They said live round into the box that was marked dummy rounds. Right. I still think if it doesn't have, I don't know what load these these bullets normally have, but I think you can tell the difference between a hollow round and one that's fully loaded, you know, with gunpowder. In any event, I think that was good for them to bring that out. Philly, I want, Phil, hang on one second before yeah. you respond, because I want you to respond after this. First of all, how could you hang your hat on there's a tray with dummy rounds. There's only supposed to be dummy rounds in that tray. How did a live round get in there? Please, dudes, you got to be kidding me. Uh, the investigation by the police. All of these questions and defenses should have been anticipated. And all, like, how did you, Hannah, how did you load this gun? Did you load this gun? When you handed the gun, did you, to the assistant director, did you check it? Did you physically take the rounds out of the gun and make sure they were dummies and put them back in the gun. So all of those questions should have been slam dunk. And that when you handed the gun to him, what state was it in? Was it cocked? Was the gun cocked? Because all of these questions are going to be raised later on. The investigator has to have the experience and the knowledge to slam the door on all the, the crap we're seeing right now. Uh, 
well, the guns lay down on a on a cart. Wow, that, ridiculous, ridiculous. No one should have any access to it. Like you said before, lock safe. Um, the, the attorney says she provided the handgun to Mr. Halls. She he didn't say she handed it. She said she she provided it. What does that actually mean? Uh, well, she, she didn't did in the chamber though. She did. Yeah, the but, right. But she, she didn't hand the gun. She provided it. What does that mean? You use the word provide. I'd like to know what that means. Um, she didn't inspect the gun after lunch. What What the hell does that mean? What does that have to do with anything? You don't expect it after lunch. You expect it before you hand it to somebody. You inspect it then. Oh, so it sat there after lunch. Oh, may, uh, are you leaving the door open that someone planted a live round in the gun because you didn't expect it? Uh Hannah spun the chamber. They said that at some time. And she said there were six dummy rounds. Did she take the rounds out of the gun? Because we all know if you look at the gun looking down, you're going to be looking at the primer. So you can't tell if a, if a, a round is dummy by looking at the rear of the, of the uh, projectile. You have to look at the front where it shows there could be lead or there could be what we showed before, the picture of the dummy rounds. And... Um, and the other thing, a projectile tip, which is the lead tip, that was the difference between a live round and a dummy round. Phil, I hope you're ready. You're loaded for bear. You're going to oh, come. A couple <laughs> of things. A couple of things. First off, those two attorneys, I think they did an injustice to the whole interview because what did they think the camera was showing from here up? The other guy's elbowing them when to answer. I mean, they could have been <laughs> kicking each other. They could have been tapping each other's foot. I, I get it. They want to, I'll take this, you take that, they, you know, but it just looked terrible. That, that's one part of it. The other part, they're saying she was outside the church when the shooting took place. So that means she handed the gun to the whole handed the gun to Halls outside the church, spun the chamber or whatever. But if you looked at the Martha McCallum interview on on uh, Fox News, uh, Lisa Tarado, Taraco, Taraco, she asked her three times, three times, there she is. She asked our uh, Martha McCallum asked her three times, did your client hand the gun to Alec Baldwin? And she would not answer it. She would not answer it. Now, he has already admitted to police that he handed the gun. She wouldn't answer that. I think she just didn't want to make the assertion that would put culpability on him. And as far as what Billy said, one million percent, even though they went to lunch and the guns were unattended, she needed to check those guns. And it's a very simple thing. If you hear the BB in there, that means it's it's a, a dummy round, what they call a dumb, dumb round. Okay, we know that. The other thing is on the uh, on the, the the rounds that you showed Billy a few minutes ago. Those are blanks with the crimp top. Those have a full charge and a primer. They will do everything a real bullet will do, except send the projectile through the barrel of the gun. That right there is a blank cartridge. If you look at the back where the where the uh, firing pin is, where the firing pin hits uh, the primer, it's not indented. If it's an expended blank. It'll have an indentation that's clear to see into that. The firing pin strikes that. It sets off a small charge, which ignites ignites the gunpowder inside the shell casing. Now, on these particular rounds, nothing will expel other than energy. There will be energy that comes out of the gun. There will be no projectile. So again, sometimes they try to mimic a real round for a camera angle shot where you're going to see a, a six shot 
uh, cylinder uh, on, on this particular gun. It was a Colt 45, and they want to see that the head of the bullet is in the uh, in the chamber. I get it. So they take a round, which we call a dumb dumb or a dummy round, and it has the projectile, but it has the BB inside, and there is no charge at all. So that's how you know. And that's the difference between those rounds. Now, the culpability lies several places, in my opinion. Obviously, the armorer, 100%. She was responsible. That was her duty to know about ammunition, to know what a real round is, to know what a fake round is, to know what a primer is, a blank, all of that stuff. She apparently didn't. And then Halls, he shouldn't have had hands on the gun. The gun was supposed to go directly from the armorer to the actor and back. And if the actor wanted, she would inspect it first, and then she would bring it over to him. She would open the cylinder, show him what's inside, hit the ejector rod, put the rounds on her hand, say, these are just dummy rounds, put them back in, or whatever it is that they were looking to accomplish regarding the shot. It shouldn't have even been in Holder's hands. It sounds like he went outside, got the gun from Harbor, and brought it into the church and handed it to Alec Baldwin. So there's going to be culpability on his part as well, I believe. Alec Baldwin... Other than him playing around with the gun, cocking it or whatever, I think he may skate from any criminal charges. But we don't know. We don't know what actually happened inside that church when that shot was fired. He may have been handed a gun that wasn't cocked. And Bill, uh, Joe, all three of us know a single action gun cannot be fired. You could pull the trigger 400 times unless you pull back the hammer, which makes it very, very volatile at that point, because it could be anywhere from a half a pound of pressure to a pound or two of pressure to release the, the, the hammer to hit the firing pin, the firing pin to hit the, the, the round and expel the round. So there you have it. I mean, that's uh, what I think where the liability, the criminal as well as civil lays. I mean, civil could be on uh, Baldwin as well. You know, Joe, uh, one of the things that they said, and I want to just run this by you too, Yeah, is they're acting as if uh, the FBI is going to save them, like they're the men in capes that are going to show up. But one of the things I said in the very beginning of this is all three of them, as to the handling of the gun, should have been taken an in-depth statement so they can't change their story now. You know what I mean? Because the chances of getting three people touch the gun, how are you going to get DNA uh, off the um the rounds. There's well, there's. Go ahead, Joe. Did, I'm sorry. We did talk about this, and I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but we did talk about, and I said as a defense attorney, I would want to know that that gun was printed and swabbed for for DNA, and uh, not just the gun. Now hearing their Miss Gutierrez Reed's attorneys, uh give this theory that the the guns may have been locked up except for that two hour period they were outside but the rounds the dumb the box of dummy rounds was not locked up and it was unattended and that they believe it's possible somebody sabotaged the set by putting a live round in now we're not talking about printing a gun we're talking about where was that box of rounds do they have it? Can they lift prints from it? Is a is it of a surface that we can lift prints? So I think when he was referencing the FBI and their expertise at doing uh, investigations like that, I think that's what they're talking about. That now they're going to like retrace her steps and where was the box of rounds? Where did you get it from? 
take it out. You know, when you open a box of rounds, there's that plastic case that the rounds are face down in. Maybe there's fingerprints or other, you know, evidence they can extract from there. So I think that's what they're referencing. And I want you guys to try to help me out with this. I remember watching Steve Gardell talk about the difference between dummy rounds, uh, blank rounds. And the one thing, correct me if I'm wrong, he said the dummy round, they actually just remove the projectile, dump out the charge, the gunpowder, and then reinsert the, the projectile uh, with that little pellet inside so you can shake it to know it's empty. But the primer is still intact, correct? Yes. Okay. Now, so listen, there was, a, there was an accident with that years back with uh, with the uh, uh, Bruce Lee's son where th yeah. that little bit of a charge pushed the, the round into the gun. Now, I don't know how it's done throughout the country, but Steve said that they no longer do that. They, If they're going to fire a shot with just a primer, there will be no projectile in that in that round. That's how it's done in New York. Now, is it possible that it's done differently in New Mexico? I think it's quite possible. But uh, you, you know, there, there was there was uh, these accidental discharges that they talked about too. So there was definitely sloppiness on this movie set for sure, one hundred percent. But I don't think we'll have to check back with Steve. But I'm pretty sure they don't use those anymore, Joe. Well, so what I was gonna you know, allude to when they say that the armor spun the barrel, that means she didn't take the rounds out. She spun the barrel so he could see the rounds. So there must have been something distinct about the rounds because in my view, with the primer still intact, what would be the, the benefit of spinning the, the barrel to see the rounds? Joe, Joe you know something exactly because you're looking at the round from the primer. You can only right. tell the difference from looking at the other end of the casing to so see what that leads me to believe, Bill, if he spun if she spun the barrel to show him that it was safe, that she did so because they were either marked, maybe the, the primers had a red dot on them or something, or they were already expended. You know, the primers were already uh, depressed. There must be some reason why she showed him essentially the primers because that's all you're going to see from that angle. Right. So I'm just curious about that. Maybe we can get Steve comment on that. Yeah, we'll, we'll get a hold of Steve and, and ask him that question. It just strikes me as very, very uh, lackadaisical and reckless that she doesn't know. I mean, listen – you don't have to be an expert in, in uh, ammunition to shoot a gun. You know, sometimes you just, but if you know a little bit about it, you know that once a, 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 a firing pin hits the primer, it's indented, like you said, and that's one thing. And then, you know, you have all these other scenarios with a blank and you have a, a dummy round with the BB inside and then you have a real round. She should be up on all of that and should have been able to pick up on it right away. And there should be some sort of a, a marking. Now, I don't know if they make a, a round for, for movie sets or TV that the primer doesn't have a dent in it, but yet it's not. It doesn't have a charge inside. I don't know. So that's a question we're going to have to put to uh, so you know, guys. Some uh, some uh, questions from the chat. If they do, uh, if they're going to do DNA and if they're going to do uh, fingerprints, they have to do the DNA first because the DNA 
off the casings once you you swab it for DNA, and then you got to compare it against an exemplar. Uh, you know, like to, there has to be something to compare the DNA against. So I would take a, an exemplar from Alec Baldwin. I would take an exemplar uh, from Miss Gutierrez, and I would take an exemplar from uh, David Halls. But how do you think it's going to, unless someone's in the DNA database, uh, the DNA to find the alleged uh, saboteur who planted that live round in the dummy box, uh, you know, but you still have to do it. You have to do all that. The other thing, fingerprinting, once the DNA is lifted from the side of the casings or it's processed for that, they're swabbed and the gun is swabbed. Uh, now you have to dust for fingerprints on the case, the casings and also uh, the firearm. Um, chances of lifting fingerprints, we've went through that again off a gun or a remote. It, it's Can it happen? Yes, but it's, it's, it's sort of a long shot. But so all of these things need to be done because, look, you can already hear the doubt being created by these attorneys, and they're not even going to court yet. This is on TV. So once they really know what happened, oh my God, Lindbergh may be brought, he may be dug up. You never know, you know. But well, uh, here's where I think that I now, because of our discussion, you know, with two very seasoned professionals, and we're talking about this, I am much more sympathetic to the armor than I ever have been. And I'll tell you why. At first, I thought it was just so grossly negligent that she left these guns unattended. I bet you that had nothing to do with this because now we know the crime scene was not the gun. The crime scene was the dummy box of ammo. So here's the, the picture that I see. She then had to load this gun. So she takes the gun, maybe left it unattended, but checks it. And now just pulls the box out that's clearly marked dummy rounds and relies upon that and just loads it up. Okay, now, I didn't think it was persuasive at all. and I thought it was actually negligent on their behalf, raising the issue that she had another job and task that she had to do. But now it's starting to make sense. I don't think that excuses her role as the guardian of this weapon and, and having to present it and all that. But now looking at this, that she probably did check the firearm and then grabbed the box that was clearly marked dummy and she loaded it and kept custody of that until she gave it to the Mr. Hall. You know, like I'm starting to see where she's not grossly negligent Maybe because she relied upon the box being marked dummy, she's negligent. I don't think that's grossly negligent. She perhaps should have shook him, shook the rounds to make sure she heard that little pellet. But I'm starting to be more sympathetic because of this background uh, material that they're bringing forth. What do you think? You know, Joe, I wanted to ask, though, uh, this, this obviously needs more investigation because uh, everyone is now pointing fingers at, uh, which is not uncommon, right? It's not uncommon. But the point is now, I think everyone, because this can be and may be and maybe should be a criminal, uh, a criminal arrest, there could be an arrest in this. Do they, do they all, they all have counsel now. 
Are they is counsel now going to refuse for them to be re-interviewed, or what do you think, Joe? What would you advise your client if if, if you were representing one of the three who have the most culpability here? Uh, would you advise them not to be interviewed anymore? I think they're all in different phases of this thing. And and the one issue that I have with Hall's attorney is that she didn't even know the basic facts, whether or not he handed it to her first or that the armorer handed it to Baldwin first. And then he had to adjust his holster. So he handed it to Hall and Hall handed it back. I, I, I just don't. All right, Joe, Joe, I'm going to, I'm going to be a devil's advocate. You're re representing Alec Baldwin. What do you advise them to do if they say we want Alec to come in on, on uh, Monday and we want to re-interview him? I don't see a problem with, uh, with Baldwin if he's relying on being told by one of the two, cold gone. I, I don't see a problem with that if that's his defense because that, that, that's his only defense. If he's relying on the representation made to him, I still think it's negligent but it may not be gross negligence. If he relied on that and that's his story, then he should keep telling that story. But uh, I, I'm of the opinion after watching Steve Gardell that the proper protocol is for the armorer to go to him, show him that it's safe. And then I think if that wasn't done, that gives him a heightened duty to make sure that gun is safe and check it himself. So I'm still on the fence with that. But as far as speaking to the police, if that is his story, I have no problem. You want to ask me again? I'll tell you the same thing. Billy, I want to make a point, which we're talking about with the fingerprints. Now, guns do uh, not provide a surface that's really accommodating to lift a print. However, shell casings are a little different. Shell casings are a lot easier to get a fingerprint off. I've had cases where we've gotten a partial or a tip. And, and you know from major case prints, uh, Billy, that... Uh, sometimes the tip of a finger can be enough of a, a match to incriminate somebody from, you know, being at a crime scene or so if that round that was expelled, if it wasn't ejected from the gun before the police got there, they could have actually taken it and possibly lifted uh, a tip off of, uh, off of the shell casing or some type of a partial and then go through the whole crew and ask everyone to submit to major case prints and you might have something there. So that's a possibility that I would uh, love to know if they're exploring that. I mean, if they're coming up with this story, the attorneys of a sabotage, you know, I, I know they're working for the, for their client. They're trying to come up with, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to create a story already to cast doubt if their client is ever going to be charged, obviously, and they're doing their job. But what's making them go with the sabotage routine? Was there something that makes them believe that that happened? And maybe the police... Uh, may have done what I just said, that they're trying to get a, uh, a fingerprint match by asking everyone to submit that was around those firearms or handle those firearms or handle the ammunition. Well, you if know, Phil, that's the truth. They'd have, they'd, have to take, they'd have to take 100 sets of elimination prints. Not necessarily, Bill. No, I, get, I know where you're going with that, but I would think that only people who had access to the firearms. Now, if it's going to be a saboteur, it could be somebody outside. You're probably right. They'd have to do 100. But so what? 100 major case prints. If they if they lifted a print off of that shell casing, if it's 100, if it's 200, let's do it. You know what I mean? It's, it's 100%. a little time-consuming, but we could definitely do it. And then narrow down who was it that put that print on that uh, round. It may be from the manufacturer. Who knows? You know, But 100%. I would definitely want to do that.
Guys, uh, just uh, I just want to do a quick little uh, promotion for Police Off the Cuff. If you're not subscribed, again, like I said today on Coffee with Cannon, shame on you. But we hear that 44% of people that listen to us are unsubscribed. What are you trying to do to us? Do you love us or you don't love us? If you listen to us, get with the program. Just, just subscribe. It's free to subscribe. Hit that subscribe button. Uh, ring that bell and give us a thumbs up. All right. And now I just one want to click, guys. One little click. Well, with the thumbs up. <laughs> that's it. One little click, and you're you're in the police off the cuff family. I just want to play a real short clip from the uh, about a, a week or so ago with the uh, prosecutor, the potential prosecutor, and see what see what she said. And uh... oh, and uh, but that is one of the reasons that this investigation will take a while. It's incredibly complex. Is that part of the reason why hundreds of pieces of ammunition have been taken from the set? Uh, the hundreds of pieces of ammunition were taken uh, directly from uh, the the armorer's cart, and uh, and I believe the prop truck. Uh, so they're not being gathered off the off the ground, if if you will. Uh, but I know that they were looking around the ground to make sure there were no more live bullets or or other pieces of evidence. Is it possible someone goes to jail for the shooting of Helena Hutchins? I think it's way too early to speculate on that. You know, earlier, going back to these bullets in the casings, we know the sheriff said they recovered the shell casing, the actual shell casing from the bullet that sadly killed Hutchins and the lead projectile that also went into the director's shoulder. Explain to our viewers what types of clues can your team pull from those pieces of evidence? So that's... In, in general, they're going to be testing for fingerprints, for DNA. Um, they will test for ballistics, tool marks perhaps um there's there's a wide array of of testing that will take place on both the gun the the uh, projectile and the casing mary I, I gotta ask you we heard this from the news conference that you attended today there with the sheriff how did two people inspect the gun and not know there was a live round in there i think that is the question that remains to be answered and is is probably the linchpin of the entire case so I got to ask you this as well. How important is Alec Baldwin to this investigation? Well, obviously, he's he's very important. He uh, <laughs> he's the one that pulled the trigger. He's the one that was holding the gun. Um, and so he's very important. Does that mean that charges will be filed? Not necessarily. It also doesn't mean that they won't be filed. Is he considered a, the key witness to this case? Um, I think that's it's a little premature to say key witness. Um, certainly, he is a witness. There were 16 other witnesses, I believe 16, in the uh, in in the church structure. So he is one of the main witnesses. I think he was right there. Obviously, he was right there when it happened. And so he is a very important witness. I don't know that I would characterize him as the key witness at this point. You said people have been cooperative and in giving interviews, more than one in some cases. Is anyone bringing an attorney with them, quote unquote, lowering up at this point? Uh, not thus far. Okay. Is this We've been very pleased with the You got to realize though, that was uh, about a week ago. So things are changing. And I would imagine very soon, Alec Baldwin will be uh, sending his attorney, uh, or his attorney will start appearing on these talk shows, which I discussed it briefly with Joe before the show, is I, I don't know why these attorneys are trying the case in the media. The only thing I can figure is they're trying to get their ticket punched and get free advertising. Other than that, I don't see a reason 
to try this case in the media. I really don't. Yeah. I, I agree with you, Bill, on that. Go, Joe, go. If you have a strong, you know, theory or or statement about your client and their, you know, it's it's exculpatory in some way, yeah, get it out there. I have no problem with that. I use the media a lot. Here, though, I really think that was very smart of the armorer's attorneys to bring this out. I, it has changed my opinion. It's no longer focusing on the gun. The gun was not the issue. I don't care what prints are on the gun. It's the box. It's the dummy rounds. And we don't even know, is it possible that they only took out some of the gunpowder so that you would still hear the rattle? Maybe she's got a perfect defense that they sabotage these rounds so you would hear some rattle. It wasn't packed in there and caked in there where you wouldn't hear it, but it was enough to discharge that projectile. Joe, quick question, quick question. Does the fingerprint on the side of the casing that was the live round, does that does that show someone is uh, I, you know, when guilty it, of uh, anything, or does it, it, it does it make them a suspect? I, that, there's another thing. It doesn't mean anything almost. Yeah, because Many the people round could have been handled days ago by somebody. Right. So what know? is the fingerprint? That's why I, I hop on the fact that the statements originally taken by the police, they better be thorough. Do not let those people go home. Keep them there for eight hours if you have to. Because all of these questions should have been answered in the statements. And so then when at some point, these statements are going to be handed to the attorneys yeah. as discovery. And they're going to read them and be like, "Oh shit, we gotta, we gotta change our defense now because they covered this, they covered that, they covered," and we don't know. They don't know what the statements say yet because yeah. the police haven't handed them over yet. So hopefully, sure. the police and the investigators, the detectives, did an in-depth, thorough, thorough interview that'll slam the door on a lot of these doubt subjects that the attorneys are bringing up right now. The, the only thing I think that a fingerprint off the shell casing would prove is if someone says, no, I didn't handle the round and their fingerprint or their partial print or their tip or whatever it is, is there. That's the only way it would it would really make sense. But, you know, you make it a good point. Anybody could have been handling them rounds. I still think that the, uh, you know, the, the way that this whole set was being run, there was one of the friends of uh, the armorer. Um, that made a statement and in it, uh, she said things like she was, she, she was a novice, but she was professional. And she also said that if you think that, uh, accidental discharges of these firearms on movie sets is an uncommon occurrence while well, you're fooling yourself. Well then guess what? That's reckless. There shouldn't be any accidental, uh, discharges of guns. I mean, uh, even if, if it's with blanks or something, you know, you're playing with a firearm it shouldn't be. If safety is of the utmost of importance and you treat it like it's a, a, a live gun with a live round, there shouldn't be any accidents. And if there is, they should be very far and few in between. This woman that made the statement made it sound like they happen every day. Bill, quick, uh, quick commercial. <laughs> Joe Murray is present and you could see his expertise live today. Have you found yourself in a jam? Are you in need of legal counsel in the New York area? Do you need a victim's advocate? Well, Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He knows both sides of defense. His website is jmurray-law.com. That's jmurray-law.com. 
His telephone number is 646-838-1702. That's 646-838-1702. And you can email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com. That's joe at jmurray-law.com. I hesitated there for a second because it just hit me. He knows both sides of the defense instead of the fence. <laughs> I'm going to add that now. It's funny. It's funny to read his commercial when he's here, you know, it's like, and there he is. That's Joe Murray right there in the flesh. But you know, Joe, this, this is, this is complicated, Joe. It's complicated because it's made complicated complicated, and it could be made more complicated if the investigators didn't do a very, very thorough, thorough interview. And that can close a lot of the doors if they did. Yeah, I, I agree that, that, you know, and, and we're talking about 16 possible witnesses here that are witnessing certain aspects of this. So you better have your story straight, you know, because you're going to be impeached by somebody. Uh, law of averages, you know, people don't see. We all know as cops, when you interview witnesses, sometimes you get totally different stories and they're not lying. They believe what they're telling you. So, you know, he was yeah, six but- feet. He was six foot five. He was, you know. Joe, minor inconsistencies I could live with, minor inconsistencies. But if it's my case, I'm interviewing the three primaries. The three primaries are Baldwin, Halls, and uh, the the young lady, I think. Gutierrez, Miss Gutierrez. Gutierrez, okay. So, and and now, I mean, they're really not going to be – Bill has been saying, I want a good, thorough interview. I want to lock them in. And it's not going to be that hard. When did you uh, handle the gun? What time did you, uh, uh, you know, open the lockbox? When did you take the gun out? Did you load it? I mean, really, when did you hand it to? Who did you hand it to? And then I would go to the next one. When you had the gun, who gave it to you? Did you check it? Did you inspect it? Did she do that? They're really not a whole bunch of questions that really, there's a few solid questions that need to be answered. Once you get them, you start comparing the three interviews. Minor inconsistencies, yes. Major inconsistencies, nope. Everybody's staying here till we iron this out. You go back and you re-interview them right then and there the same night, just like Billy said. The other people on the peripheral, those where I think you're going to come up with more inconsistencies because they're going to be further away. They might not have seen the actual spinning of the barrel and different, you know, it could have been setting up an, a light or a camera, something like that. So those uh, inconsistencies, I would be... Uh, okay with even a little bit more. But between the three major players in this thing, which is Gutierrez, Halls, and Baldwin, those people, you really need the solid statement. And I'm sure that they, I would hope that they did, that I think they did that night and uh, go over it. And, you know, if there's any major inconsistencies, you're going to blast them that night. You're going to straighten it out that night and iron it out. Joe, uh, there's a there's a great question from the chat for Joe Murray. Uh, I have a question for Joe. How and would you defend Baldwin? I don't like Baldwin, especially the way he mocked Trump. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I think the best defense for Alec Baldwin is he has to have whatever his story is. Not that I would give it to him. I would ask him what happened. And if he tells me that Halls handed him the gun and said, cold gun, I would ask him, what is the pattern in practice? Is that the pattern and practice you would just be handed the weapon and the representation that it's a cold gun or unloaded gun? I don't know, you know, if there were other terms they use. What would be the pattern and practice that because I'm, I'm sure this wasn't the first day of shooting and they've been working together, this well-oiled machine that he talked about. If that's, you know, his story, stick to it. 
I will defend it. And I will say that this was the pattern in practice. It may not be the industry standard, but it was the pattern in practice that they followed in this shoot. And my client did exactly what he was expected to Joe, do. Joe, you see the picture on the screen? Yes. That says everything about the movie set. <laughs> they couldn't decide if they were up or down, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, who did it? That, that well-oiled well machine couldn't decide which way was up and which way was down. Yeah, that, so, that's uh, fine. They, they use it for either left side or right side. They turn it up. But it's like, they, it's like the Wizard right. of Oz. Which way did he go? <laughs> you know? <laughs> but I, I could defend him. I definitely could because it, he would have to demonstrate that was the pattern and practice we followed. Forget the industry standard. This is what we did on the set. And I relied on his representation. And you'll see from my conduct that I was cross-drawing and endangering myself thinking it was unloaded, you know, relying upon that representation. So yeah, I, I can see a defense for all of them. Even the armorer, who I thought was indefensible, the possible saboteur putting a bullet in the, a live round in the dummy box, clearly marked dummy, and maybe it wasn't a full load, that you could hear the rattle of that pellet. I really think she's got a strong defense. It had nothing to do with the guns. It's the rounds. And they should, as you know, when you pull the bullets out of that box, there's a, a plastic case that the rounds are, are and with the holes that you put in them, that plastic case will have fingerprints on it. The box will have fingerprints on it. The other rounds that are in there will have fingerprints on it because maybe they moved some of the rounds to place these up close where they would have been used next. So I really think they all have a defense. They all have a defense, and we may not see charges. It's amazing. Joe, you know <laughs> something? The, the thing is is that you're, you're right. They all do have a fence, uh, excuse me, a defense. However, just being charged, if they, in fact, do get charged, just being charged, you're a loser. You're a loser because, A, you got to fight these charges, and, B, even if you get convicted, you're, you're not going to go to prison, but you could have a felony conviction. And this... I believe, and I think we all somewhat believe this, it, it was an accident, but it looks like there was some gross negligence to do with this accident. There's there's enough excuses on this set for the each of the 100 people to have an excuse, but it seemed like it was a very loose set that a lot of protocols were not being, probably because they were cut rate. They were cutting money. They were trying to do it under a certain budget. And they, they were even, you know, union people on the set quit and they hired non-union people. So it seems like, uh, you know, the well-oiled machine that Alec Baldwin is talking about really does not exist. But I, having said all of that, the negatives, I believe this was an accident. Joe, think about this for a second too, Joe. The gun, you know, if he's cross-drawing it, it had to be cocked before. If he cross draws it and it's not cocked, that thing ain't going off. He could throw it at the wall. It ain't going off. It needed to be cocked. So somewhere along the line, either it was handed him cocked, he cocked it. We don't know. Again, if he was doing this cross draw, I don't know, were they setting up after he draws it to try and get the shot of the round inside the chamber? Those are all critical uh, points that have to be ironed out. When that shot went off, what exactly preceded that that point when that shot went off. Now, if he's cross-drawing and he's already got it cocked, I mean, that's really reckless because we all know it takes very little pressure 
to expel that round out of that gun, even though they're thinking it's a dummy round or a blank or whatever. It still it takes a, a half a pound of pressure on some of those guns, you know. So I, I would think that that's got to play into the Alec Baldwin part of the culpability. Was the gun cocked when he got it? Did he cock it? Did he know the ramifications of handling a cocked gun? You know, these are all the things that I think are going to be put on him. Now, again, if it's the armorer or Mr. Holds that cocked it, then the, the liability and, and, you know, the criminal as well as civil may fall on them a little more, you know? Babs Ronquest, bottom line, all three of them, the AD, the armor, the actor should be charged and arrested. None of them followed set protocol, used common sense, or showed Good point. any compassion. I think, you know, Babs, I think, you know, this has to be decided by the district attorney and the results of a, a lengthy investigation before we go arresting anybody. Uh, we all have uh, uh, a presumption of innocence. And yes, there's a lot of things that I see in this case and Phil sees and and Joe, who's a defense attorney, he sees a lot of negligence here too. And But until the investigation is completed, if the district attorney decides not to charge, then all three of them go free. However, this, this is not over. The hugest part of this is going to be the civil case. And not only is the movie company liable, Alec Baldwin's a producer. And don't forget, he pulled the trigger. So civilly, he may part with some of his own money, you know? Uh, and, you know, of course, the production company has insurance, but Alec Baldwin could part with uh, quite a, a lot of his own uh, his own money. So that's a possibility. I don't know. I, I would think that the, the insurance... He probably has his own insurance as well as the production has insurance. But uh, listen, bottom line is that's pretty depraved. Joe went through it early in the show. That's pretty depraved to take a live bullet and stick it in with, you know, uh, blanks or these dumb, dumb rounds that they talk about. And you don't know who it's going to, you know, you're just throwing a bullet in there someplace, either in the mix or in the gun. You don't know where it's going to be pointed or where it's going to go off. I mean, maybe they, you know, in their mind, they were thinking, ah, you know, it'll be another, uh, you know, uh, another round that went off and it doesn't strike anything. But, you know, you're playing with people's lives. That's seriously depraved, seriously depraved. And obviously it led to the uh, the homicide of this poor young lady. Uh, it's just disgusting. Do we know if that was the first round that was fired? Because think about this. She did load six dummy rounds in there and spun the barrel. So, well, some some people are saying three, some people are saying six, but there was definitely more than one, I think. But was it Baldwin's first shot out of there, or was it blank, blank, bang, you know, like the yeah. real one? That's a good question. Because that would kind of, you know, support the, uh, the armorer's defense, that she was sabotaged. And, boy, I'm really starting to, to feel for her. I think – that could be what happened. It could be something like that and having nothing to do with her being neg negligent at all because it was undetectable. There was a round, uh, there was, uh, you know, a pellet in there that she could hear when she loaded it, you know? Wow. I do have sympathy for her too, in a way, Joe, because she's a young kid. She's put in the middle of this thing. She sounds like she got the job because of her father's uh, previous experience as an armorer. And uh, maybe she wasn't up to the task. And, you know, when it comes down to uh, 
you know, you're playing with people's lives when you're playing with real guns. So, uh, again, I, I do have some sympathy for her, but that's not going to excuse her from liability, criminal and civil, with the, the death of uh, Miss Hutchins. It's really, uh, it, it's just terrible all around. I'm Joe Warren here. If he did fire, for, let's say, three rounds, that the first two was so loud and the third one was because of the, the less powder in the round because you could still hear the rattle. If that would have happened, you know, geez, I wish we knew about the other rounds in that gun. I hope, I hope law enforcement, you know, like our ballistics would do, they would test fire it. They would use the rounds that were in it and fire it. So just to see if there's a difference amongst, you know, the rounds that were in there. Joe, I want to ask, we're at uh, six, we're at an hour and 11 minutes. I want to get, be finished with this by an hour and 15 because I don't like to go that far over because people got things to do with their cooking dinner. They're doing all kinds of things all over the world. I, let, I want to just move quickly and we'll do this fast to the civil case. Who, how many, first of all, this set is a set that's used all the time for movies. So, A, they're going to be subject to it the civil liability also just for the fact that they own this, the movie company. And then of course, individuals on this, uh, did I hit everyone or is there some other that are civilly liable here? Well, yeah, everybody gets it. The premise, the owner, the, the, the lessee, whoever was licensed to use it, you know, the production company. I, I, I think everyone involved in this is going to get named, you know, but uh, ultimately, I do think it's going to come down to insurance. I'm sure that they were well insured. Whenever you're using firearms, you probably have to have some mandatory insurance uh, to cover that. I would, I would expect. It's not my area of law, but it is a logical, you know, conclusion that if you're going to be using live rounds and live firing, uh, you know, you need a steep policy. Well, Joe, I'm sure people get hurt on movie sets all the time, doing stunts, doing all, getting fights, all kinds. So I'm sure they have to have a great deal of insurance to uh, a liability for things that, that happen like that. Uh, yeah. We're at, Phil, we're at 613. I'm going to give you your last words, Phil, and then I'll go back to Joe. And then we'll say uh, good night to all these great people uh, listening to us. Well, this is uh, a very intriguing uh, case. I'm, I'm going to pay attention to it as it winds through the uh, investigation and possible criminal charges as well as civil. I think it's very interesting to hear what happens in it. Uh, we'll probably get more detail as time goes on and uh, we'll be able to figure out and comment a little more. Uh, sympathies and condolences to Helena Hutchinson's families, her, her husband and her, uh, her young son. And uh, let's hope that uh, the Alec Baldwin's in this thing and the attorneys, they take a take a breather, take a step back. Uh, they're not doing themselves any favors making all these public statements, in my opinion. Joe, final words? Well, uh, my final words, I want to thank you guys because this was so educational to me, watching these uh, the videos to learn about what the statements are being made. I just feel like I had an epiphany with this armor. I was condemning her. You know, there is no way possible that she can be uh, without some uh, serious liability here. But today, you guys have shown me the light that she really has a very colorable, meritorious defense, and it needs to be explored. They're inviting the FBI in to check this out. They wouldn't do that if they weren't, you know, 
worried about what they were going to, you know, or not worried about what they were going to find. I think that's very interesting. It's very compelling. And I can't wait to see what happens next in this case. You know, Joe, we really appreciate you coming on the show. And we also like to teach you things too, because <laughs> we know, <laughs> we know when you, we teach you the police investigative perspective, it's going to make you a better attorney. You know, he's probably right. one of the few attorneys that would admit that too. That's the other thing. Oh yeah, I mean, he's not, you know what it is? He's a real he's guy. Real. He's, he's not arrogant like those two guys. You know that they're bumping each other, and you know maybe yeah. you should be a little more prepared to go on TV. Where, where you know, as oh, especially the attorney for uh for for the uh Tarako, Lisa Tarako. David, no, David Halls. Yeah, her attorney. Yeah. I mean, how about doing a little bit of homework before you go she, on TV? She really got beat up, Joe. If you oh get my the opportunity, God. check that out. It was on Martha McCallum's show on Fox. You know, it was That's almost that. like the second coming of Stephen Steve Bertolino by uh Ashley mm -hmm. Banfield. Mm -hmm. Just she beat him up like a bastard stepchild. I mean, yeah. he was slapped yeah. around. I think he probably went home and had to cry for a couple of hours. So yeah, you know, I, I feel for Steve. I think he he just got a you know a bad rap from the beginning, doing what he had to do to protect his clients. The one thing, though, I I really feel strongly about is that he needed Brian Laundrie needed an attorney right there with him to hold his hand, to talk to him, to be with him. He can't do this long distance relationship. No, he was uh, representing him from Long Island. That's you know, yeah, and yeah. I think yeah, you're right. He needed to be hands on because look. The result of his rep representation is Brian Laundrie's dead. So, you know, whether, you know, I'm sure With he- the right attorney, he might be alive today. That's right. You're right. And so some of the- To his credit, nobody, none of his clients were ever charged with anything related to the death of Gabby Petito. So you got to give him some credit there. But I do think, and I hate it Monday morning quarterback, this kid needed his hand held. He needed to be reassured. He needed to be watched. He needed to be, you could detect the despondency if, in fact, he committed suicide. We don't know that yet. Well, yeah, but and I don't think, Joe, I don't think he ever he ever went to Florida to, to meet with him. Yeah. This was all like, you know, the way everything's done these days by Zoom or by, yeah, you know. Yeah, this pandemic brought the new normal, but I still think in that circumstance, he needed someone there with him. That's a story for another day, guys. That's for sure. So listen, folks, thank you guys for uh, listening to us. And uh, I think we've really had some really good shows on this topic, you know, and uh, maybe those attorneys should listen to us before they go on TV, you know, and they get, get some good advice. Anyway, on behalf of Bill, Bill Cannon from uh, Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories, my co-host Phil Grimaldi and frequent guest and outstanding defense attorney Joe Murray, have a great night, and thank you so much for listening. Stay safe, everyone. Good night, everyone. One episode.